Kennedy Street, please visit kennedystreetcio.org. Recovery is possible. Um, and we're live. There we go. Welcome, everybody. Hi, and my name's Claire Kennedy, and I am the founder and what am I? I'm the founder and the chief executive officer of Kennedy Street and CIO Charity. Um, hi, welcome to our um, recovery talks and happy new year. It's our first talk in the like in the new year. Um, and I'm here today with the gorgeous Kerry Hyam from the Well Communities, um, who's a lovely friend of ours, and obviously my handsome husband, Kevin Kennedy. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to explain for those of you who don't don't know what we do, um, what we do, and then Kev is going to give you a little bit of an um, overview of who he is, just in case you don't know who he is, and then he'll introduce the gorgeous Kennedy. She'll tell you a bit more about herself. So Kennedy Street is a peer-led charity, um, which is recovery-focused, and we're based in Brighton, and we... Um, offer support and signposting to anyone who's interested in recovery. And what's happened, thanks to COVID, is um, we've been operating a national recovery helpline where people ring up who are struggling with any addiction. And what we do is we've got um, trained peer operators on the end of the helpline who um, just offer some some support and some signposting as to what is available in in your area. So if you're ringing from Manchester, we've got um, loads and loads of lists of great resources that are freely available, um, and also um, lists of um, private rehabs as well, because a lot of people um, have wanted to go into pre private rehabs or private practitioners. So this is what's emerged because of the pandemic is we've got lists and lists of um, amazing referrals, really. Um, and Kerry's one of our friends um, who's doing an amazing job in, in the Cumbria area. I'm not going to tell you too much, so she can tell you a little bit more. Um, yeah, so if you want any help or you don't know where to start or you just want to have a conversation, a start a conversation about recovery, you can always give us a ring and we'll connect you with what's available in your, your area and just have you, offer you some additional remote support. Um, yeah, so on that note, I'm going to hand over to my handsome husband who will introduce himself. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name's Kevin Kennedy. I am the patron and very, very handsome uh, poster boy for uh, Kennedy Street. Um <clears throat> Um, happy New Year to you. Uh, welcome to Lockdown 3, which is probably the worst sequel ever. Mm. Um, and it's going to be okay, you know. It's going to be all right. I truly believe it's going to be okay. We've got to get through this bit. Um, we've got to get these vaccines out. Uh, and I think, you know, the government now are totally uh, on board with that and realise they've got to do that within the next six six to eight weeks and i i honestly believe we can see the 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 light at the end of the tunnel so if you're feeling a bit down today hold on to that thought because i really think we're going to be okay uh today uh we're going to be speaking to the lovely uh, kerry from the well community she's a director service manager of well communities up there in god's own uh county uh lancashire 
uh, of which I have an affinity with, obviously. Uh, and she is going to tell us all about the, the well communities um, and the brilliant work they're doing up there. We have spoken before. So, ladies and gentlemen, would you please, please put your hands together for the lovely Kerry Hingham. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for that introduction, Kev. Uh, it's really kind of you. And just thank you both for inviting me here. Um, Happy New Year, everybody. And, you know, yeah, as Kev's just said, lockdown three, worst sequel ever. Uh, I think personally, I'm just trying to keep it in the day. Um, can't even think about tomorrow. Just try and get through the day um, on pretty much everything, you know, whatever's going on. So I'm always really nervous the first five minutes. And as I'm introducing the well in the first five minutes, I am going to have to refer to my notes because whilst I've worked, you know, in this organisation from its very start, you know, and helped build it up, I have a tendency to forget the things that are important and um, really rabbit on. So in order to really do, you know, our organisation justice and the wonderful people who work for us and the community members who come to us, um, and obviously in the spirit of this talk, you know, it's all about giving you guys information and letting people know what's out there. Um, I'm just going to run through a little list of um, who we are and what we do. <clears throat> okay, so... As Kevin's already introduced, I'm Kerry Hyam. I'm the Director and Service Manager of Alero. Um, so Alero basically means we are a lived experience recovery organisation. Um, so in more plain speak, that essentially means that everybody who works for us has lived experience of mental health, drug and alcohol addiction and of offending. Now, maybe in some organisations that can be commonplace, but we kind of wear that as a badge of pride and a badge of honour, and that kind of forms the way that we lead um, and the, the way that we engage with people. I think what is important to say is that we are professionals with lived experience. Um, I think sometimes the, I think not so much now, but I think in the past, the view of lived experience organisations can basically be a bunch of junkies having a go. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think in some respects, when you kind of start off, you know, there is a there's an idea, there's a rookie element, but we are very much, you know, a bunch of professionals who use who use our lived experience as a, a way of kind of providing a better service for people. Um, so I, too, have lived experience. I'm 14 years abstinent from heroin and alcohol. Um, that's, you know, been no mean feat. Um, but here I am 14 years on, you know, living to tell the tale. Um, so we're a vibrant community of people who support each other and believe wholeheartedly that re recovery is possible for everyone. So, you know, we're big on valuing and investing in people who use our services and what we're able to show is a different side to addiction. I mean, my kind of first entry into services and into treatment was, you know, really, really difficult. There was a huge stigma attached there was um, there wasn't really any visible recovery. So where I live, I actually live in Hesham now, but did most of my addiction in Lancaster down the road and people either died or they moved so you never really saw those people in and around town who'd actually cracked addiction who were living you know really fulfilling lives um so I think it's really important it's been important for me to stay living where I you know where I, my addiction took place because then I can be that visible member in my community and it is very very impactful uh, you know it really does work so so we have loads of expertise to support people with a variety of problems. So again, the offending, the mental health, homelessness and childhood abuse. So our services are free and people can use them for as long as they want. 
and that's what makes us different to other support providers. So there's no end point, you know, there's no ticker box. We've done that. We, we've done that for you. It's time to move on because we're all about community. And what we find is once people come into the community, they stay. So the NHS actually in hospitals, in, in A&E, um, we work with the police and we work with prisons and we offer support through a variety of means. So we have supported housing, we have day hub, we do lots of psychosocial interventions, we run community hubs, we do recovery work in prisons and help through through the gate support. As mentioned, so we work in A&E, so the Royal Lancaster Infirmary. And if you come to A&E, obviously they're going to patch you up. But if what sits behind your injury or your presentation at A&E is a dual diagnosis, um, if there's dual diagnosis that sits behind it. So a lot of people, dual diagnosed alcoholics um, and drug addicts um, can use a and &E. I mean, for the right reasons in terms of they do need medical support, but what they really need is community, social support and that lived experience kind of input you see. So our staff are there in, um, in A&E most days, you know, kind of waiting for that referral. So we can keep people away from hospitals and get the community support that they need. We also do mutual aid facilitation and we do a lot of community activity projects. Um, so we're at right at the heart of the community in North Lancashire and in Cumbria and in Liverpool. So um, I will just say we did start off as a just a social club in Lancaster. So my husband, David, who's our CEO and founder of the organisation, he'd had a, a long time in prison uh, as, you know, drug addict as well. And he just kept, you know, going back to prison, coming out, using, going back, using. And um, his last stint was actually in Lancaster Castle. And there was a real vibrant recovery community, you know, created in Lancaster Castle. And um, what David recognised when he was in there was there were so many guys coming back to prison who were adamant they weren't coming back. You know, we're not coming back. We won't coming back. You won't see me again. You won't see me again. And then, you know, all the while he's in there, it's like these men who, you know, appeared really strong and appeared to have it all going on. You know, they just kept winding back in prison. So... Um, David actually relocated to Lancaster, so he's a scouser, um, couldn't, wouldn't, didn't want to go back to Liverpool, so chose Lancaster as his home. And I think what he realised is, is was the impact of the lack of support. So there wasn't anything. I mean, going back like 14 years ago, services weren't even touting mutual aid. I think a lot of services, a lot of statutory services were kind of run by the NHS. So it's very much a medical model. It's like if you went with a drug addiction, you kind of got more drugs. You know, alcohol was kind of detoxed again through medication, but there was no thinking that there might be a solution in the community. So you were always going to services. And I remember being there and no one ever telling me about NA or AA or that there may ever be another way. And I think... David's experience of coming out of prison was there isn't anything. There isn't anything for anybody. And at the time in Lancaster, there were only two NA meetings a week. So there was no fellowship. You know, 14 years ago in this area, there was no concept of fellowship. When I first started going, I was the only woman sat in a meeting of six men. So I wasn't able to make those friendships, you know, make the relationships. I could ring people if there was a problem, but recovery isn't just about ringing people if there's a problem. You know, fellowship is about friendship. It's about support. It's about being in each other's houses and kind of getting to know each other. Um, so David always had this idea that he needed to create something, you know, there needed to be something. So he kind of started his journey working in treatment services um, across um, north and central Lancashire 
and and started realizing gaps in services as well so not only a gap in the prison system but there were huge gaps in the services namely the nine to five monday to friday addiction don't function like that the majority of drug addicts are not getting up till tea time um you know it's like it, it just kind of doesn't function in that time um and then there was also you know weekend support out of our support but also Therapeutic relationships, you know, actually a, a space to build up therapeutic relationships, which really, really saw that was lacking. So he came up with the idea of uh, just having a social club. Let's just open a social club. Um, let's open it on a Saturday and let's just see if we can, you know, really just try and build something. So the main aim was for people coming out of prison, people leaving services and the wider recovering community. Because I think what's important is, and I think it's going back to what I said before, you either died or you moved. I never saw anyone get clean. I never saw anyone get out of the hole that I was in. And recovery is infectious and recovery breeds recovery. So kind of what he hoped to create was a place where people in recovery would want to come as well. Um, to really be that example, you know, and help people. And I think another big thing that we uh, we are focusing is families. So we have lots of people who, when they're coming into recovery, they've got really broken relationships with the families. You know, the relationships with the children are non-existent. Um, people can struggle to interact with the children. You know, there's no there's been no real meaningful activity. They've just been kind of like functioning relationships. So what we wanted to do was provide a space so people could actually learn to have relationship with the children's and family so yeah so we just um rented uh, a community center on dallas road in lancaster and we opened on a saturday afternoon from 12 to 4. now pre-covid that was still open and we needed um we needed 40 quid for the rent so we needed to make 40 quid a week so what we used to do is charge people two pound fifty to come in and they could have free tea and coffee but initially, of those 15 people that came in, nine were volunteers. The volunteers used to pay £2.50 to come to work because uh, everyone, you know, everyone believed in it. Um, I think after a little while, you know, we did start to get some funding. In, and I think about 18 months in, um, David and I left our jobs. Um, so David was, he was a recovery lead for an organisation called User Voice. So we kind of done this alongside um and I was, um, what was I doing? Was I at uni? Oh, yeah, I think I could have been at uni then. Um, so we, then we, yeah, we just decided that, right, we're going to, you know, yeah, see what we can do. So that was seven, that was eight years ago. Was it eight years ago? Eight years ago. Yeah. So in, you know, in eight years, um, you know, as is what has just been mentioned with all the things that we, that we do with, just really steadily built up. And I believe that's because there is a need there, you know, there is a need for people like us, you know, to wear our addiction with pride. I think, you know, when you've done a lot of kind of work on yourself and, you know, it, it's a real gift, you know, it's a real gift to give to others. You know, all I ever wanted to hear was it's all right. And, and to have a relationship where I didn't have to lie. Every relationship, whether it had been with a doctor, a key worker, my mum, it was all hinged on untruths because I could never find someone who I could tell the truth to, but could accept the truth and could accept me as I am. And I think because we have a team of people who are all in recovery, who have got the just really, really passionate, you know, willing people. And I think because there is a need, that's why we are where we are today. So have I gone on for a <laughs>
Oh, it's absolutely fabulous. I could listen to you all day, to be honest. Um, and, I, I, you know, I can say it first-hand experience. I've been to your um, project in Barrow um, and Kerry kindly showed me around and the team were amazing. And, oh, my goodness, I, honestly, I was dreaming about it afterwards. It was just so inspirational. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that project in Barrow? Because I think yeah. how it looks and how it works I personally think it's the future um, and it's very socially innovative. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about that project? Yeah, okay. So for us, rehab, and this is not really to do rehabs down, but rehab um, is very much underpinned by a house on a hill concept, removed from society, in a bubble, um, with a group of people you're probably never likely to see again or even live next door to or you know I mean granted you will keep relationships and then you will have to come home from that and integrate back into society so what we do with our housing we've got 28 beds in Barrow so it's very much based it's supported housing 24-hour supported housing and it's very much based on a community recovery model so we have people living in houses dotted around Barrow, so four to a house. And then that, what that enables people to do is recover in their own community. So they have to walk past, they have to walk past the off-licenses, they have to walk past the people, um, you know, who they've done the using with. They get to maintain relationships with family. And then what we do is we run a, a day hub that run, runs, runs alongside. So our day hub is support groups that run all day. Now, we do have a support package in place from 7 o'clock in the morning until 9 o'clock at night. So the a lot of the support that we offer is 12-step support, but we do have other support that takes place kind of in between times. And then we do the mutual facilitation of an evening. The guys who are in our houses have got gym passes, um, you know, they've got access to volunteering, um, you know, loads of opportunities. And also as well, we opened, because you saw the supermarket, didn't you? So we actually opened a couple of years ago called Wellfed. We opened a social supermarket. Um, so people who kind of come through the housing get the opportunity to get employment in the in the supermarket as well. So I, I just think it's different in the sense that we're very much place-based. So 70% of those in our housing are actually from Barrow. Um, so you are building up that visible reco recovery in the community. And, you know, when people see, you know, you kind of like your worst faces and they're doing all right, you know, it is really, really impactful. And one of the good things is as well is we're on the high street. So, you know, we're there, we're loud and proud. You know, we're very, very visible. I think we're, we're there's a pub across the road from us and there's a pub right next door to us, but it's very, very clear and explicit what we do. And I think our impact um, that we actually have on that community um, yeah, it is great. So. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely phenomenal. And if anybody's, you know, wondering, or if you live in Barrow and, you, you know, you want to go and see it in action, obviously it, it'll all be, is it closed down for the moment, Kerry? The, yeah. No, I mean, the shop's still open and what we've done, we've got staff working in bubbles. And I mean, we don't usually with the day hub structure, and this is what you saw, Claire, we would have, um, because above the supermarket, um, you know, we've got our office and we've got our group room. So pre-COVID, all of the community would get together in the daytime and they would come and do the group work. And the good thing about this is, is a lot of people can't, can't kind of go to rehab or go to a supported housing facility because they can't leave the jobs, they can't leave the families. I mean, 
a lot of women, you know, don't have the same privilege as what men have as being able to go away. So by us offering a day ab structure, you can be a resident of Barrow and surrounding areas and you can come and get involved every day in what we're doing, but go home at the end of the day, you see. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that about about what you did. And it was it was it almost made um recovery viable for especially for mums, especially for mums with kids as well, you know, with childcare needs and family needs, because you know, like I say, you can't just abandon the family if you've got to go home and look after them as well. So um I if if there's anybody in that Brandon area that's interested, go and have a look. Go to the Well Summit supermarket. It's a fabulous supermarket. It's just a great setup. I find you really inspirational. I love you. And you were all so kind and so hospitable and really passionate and giddy about showing me around and showing me the um the impact that you know it, it has on people's lives because it does, it's life changing, isn't it? It is, and I still think for us as well, I mean, you know, we didn't start off. Our only dream was to help people. You know, our only goal was to help people. There was no kind of cross-county um, thinking or we, we never thought, you know, we just never thought really that any of it could happen. So when we get the opportunity to actually show people what's going on, sometimes you're a bit like, I can't believe this is going on. <laughs> You know, how has this happened? And, you know, when, I mean, because I, I I mean, probably one thing you'll you'll realise or you'll come to realise, Claire, is when you're working in an organisation, sometimes you can be so involved in the details and making sure everything runs okay and people are doing what they should be doing and, you know, all your I's are kind of dotted and your T's are crossed. And I think, you know, showing people like yourself around and, and other people and even talking like this, it's really good for me to connect with all that stuff So I get to lift my head out of, policies, procedures, staffing, you know, all the things that kind of comes with running an organisation. So, yeah, it's it, it's great. And we do remain really grateful for what we've done. In, you know, and it does. It reminds you, doesn't it? It reminds you, actually, you know, great work that you've done, the great work that you're doing and the great work that that's coming out of it as well. So it's, it is like a, a ripple effect, isn't it? You see some of the amazing people that you yeah. that have come through your project who are going on to, you know, fulfil their lives and thrive as well. Well, I think at last count, I mean, we have a staff team of 25 and nine of those have come through our project. Okay, so, yeah. And that's inspirational. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Kev if he's got any questions because I could just ask yeah. you loads of questions and tell you loads of amazing things but I'm gonna have questions. Well, yeah I'm happy to get a word in edgeways really <laughs> you two. um that was a, a really inspiring story that Kerry I mean I really like the way that you know you yourself and your husband suddenly decided right let's give up what we're doing and and see if we can make a difference which is so admirable it's it, that's amazing and that you're uh, the people with the lived experience are all professionals, which I think is important because people have still got that that, that idea that uh, alcoholics, drug, drug addicts are are people you see out, you know, fortunately living on the streets, which is that's just the tip of the iceberg, really. But people still sort of cling to that. Maybe it makes them feel better. I don't know, but uh, but it's you know it's it's there's professional people out there who have drug and alcohol problems, um, and I wanted to, to ask you. Um, the 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 pandemic 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 
Um, has this has this really affected what you've been trying to do, or have you found like we have that there's actually a, it's a it's a double edged sword? Some some of the stuff that we're able to do because it's all online now is probably better than what we had before. And uh, and can you talk me through the process if someone rings you up um, from from Lancashire and says, "Look, I, I need some help now." Could you talk me through that as well, please? Yeah. So I think has the pandemic affected? No, it's not affected at all. I think when we when the pandemic very first started, we um, obviously we called a board meeting right away. And one thing that we decided was one of our essential services would remain as relationship with the community. Um, because that's ultimately what we're built on. Um, and I think some organisations really narrowed it down to, to the bare bones, but we narrowed it down to what was really in line with who we are, our ethos, and also realising that, oh, my God, imagine being a heroin addict in this. Imagine being an alcoholic in this, you know. What what would we need? What is it that we should be doing? So I think the first couple of months, I mean, especially working from home as well, and we have the kids from home, we've got six- and nine-year-olds, um, and then we took seven years to build the well and we almost had a matter of weeks to create an entire online service. Um, and I'm pleased to say we did it and we did it exceptionally well because, again, being a Lero, we've got an entire team of people saying what we're going to do. We had an entire team of people saying, I'm not working from home. How can you make sure that I can come to work? How can you, can you make sure that I can still get to people and do the job that I need to do? So we were quite lucky then. We didn't have anyone with suspected symptoms. We didn't have anyone, we've not had anyone who's actually had, you know, COVID. It's been, um, you know, we've been lucky in that sense. But I think mentally we've stayed very, very strong and we've stayed very, very focused. And I think that's enabled our success in lockdown. Um, so I think, yeah, we just just started replicating, you know, so everything that we did face to face, I think the first thing that we did was created hubs. Um, so hubs, you know, community spaces where people can come with their families, um, you know, come by themselves, whatever. They're just really relaxed spaces for kind of like fun games and connection. And then after a, after a little while, I mean, there was a couple of groups, a couple of our PSIs that we put online because they have, sorry, psychosocial intervention groups um, that we put online because those groups were in existence and they were physical and it was really important that those people felt supported. They got to stay in the peer group and they still got to progress in the ways that they would have we been doing face-to-face. -face. And then what we came to realise is, is um, the hubs were great, but people wanted more action. People wanted more focus um, because I think the weight of the lockdown was starting to get to them. So we actually reduced down to two virtual hubs and then we actually found we increased our group. So we then had an alcohol support group. We had an eating disorder support group. Um, I'm not going to do us justice here. Here and now support group, recovery support and abstinence support. And this is kind of like what came out of it. And people kind of felt a lot more settled, really, you know, and like they were doing more for the recovery. In the Barrow project, so obviously we had to work out distancing because we've got the guys in different houses. How we're going to work out households. You know, we assigned staff two bubbles. We had to kit them all out with laptops and everything. And a lot of their recovery was done online. But I think the good thing is they got to stay in the teams. They got to stay in the bubbles. And we were still able to take people into the housing, you know, after testing and kind of, you know, doing risk assessments and stuff. And I think one of the positive things that came out of it is 
we would have people who would just use every excuse under the sun why they couldn't come to a group. Um, and I think pre-COVID, if people didn't make the effort to come and see us, we was almost like, well, then what do you want from us? Because this is our offer. And I think with the pandemic, we was then forced to widen our offer. And then invariably what that did was met the need of socially anxious people. For those people who really didn't want to come out of the house, who really couldn't get out of their house, who really didn't like big groups. And I think you'll know yourself with the Zooms, you know, people have the option to be anonymous. You know, they can have cameras off. They can be however they're feeling. And we never really anticipate, we never really saw that previously there was a problem with what we were doing. Um, but now the online platforms in place, um, it's almost like a correct. It's corrected a problem, you know, that we didn't really know existed. I think our, you know, our membership has increased. It's doubled. I mean, the amount of Facebook requests we get, you know, like friend request, um, group member requests, it's increased by over a thousand. You know, Twitter followers, our website um, requests, you know, where people want help probably about 20 a week, probably 20 more phone calls a week. Um, you know, we were able to meet, meet that need. So I think going to the next part is if people ring us, what do we do? Or is that, is it, how are you getting, is that what you've asked me? Because my head's gone a little bit now. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, the number that's kind of coming along the bottom, and it, there's, there's loads of ways of um, contacting us. So we've got the website there where there will be a, a request form. And that website is run by our lovely admin, Joe Claire, who you've met, who did the sisterhood things with us. So um, if you do a request through Facebook or a request through Twitter, that would be David, our CEO. So he, he runs um, those two groups or the phone number that's running along the bottom. Just ring us up. I mean, what we would do is we would find out what it is that you want. What you think is, you know, what you think you're struggling with? What is the immediate need? You know, we've got a space for you if you want to stop, but you're not ready to stop. There are groups we can put you in. If you're abstinent, you know, you want to stay abstinent. There's groups that we can put you in. If you're looking for some mutual aid facilitation, you know, we've got the majority of the staff team kind of go to meetings. You know, really, really vibrant in the recovering community. You know, if you needed help with your family I mean you may actually be a family member who's watching this going do you know what I'm absolutely sick of my son or I'm sick of my daughter I'm at my wits end I don't know what to do we've got family groups as well so I think anything kind of pertaining to addiction alcoholism mental health you know no matter where you're at in that process if you just contact us via any, any of those ways um we would just have like a, an inquiry conversation and it's just to say you're welcome you know you will speak to someone who is in recovery you will speak to someone who has been through the exact same experience what you're going through there will be no judgment and if we couldn't help you you know we're really connected with uh, you know a lot of third sectors and partners if your need was more clinical you know if you needed more kind of intense support um, than we could give you, we would absolutely facilitate that pathway into another service. So all I would say is give us a ring and come to us and let's see what we can do. Uh, that's that's great. Thank you. Claire, do you want me to get you a drink of water? Sorry. No, no, it's okay. I've stopped coughing now. Okay. <laughs> uh, you was going redder and redder, so I just thought, oh, better. <laughs> um, well, that's great. And I, I was interested as well in, in these um, sober houses. Um, so you, you said four to a house. Is there someone there to mediate? Is there is some somebody in charge there? And how secure are they? And the the day centres. So presumably, correct me if I'm wrong. You live in the house. 
and the day center is physically geographically somewhere else yeah and they go they go to those and then come back to the house is that right yeah that's right yeah so the, our, our kind of day hub is right in the middle of barrow town center so the houses are kind of dotted around that but when you come to the housing so we we take people who are drug and alcohol free so we can't support detox um, so invariably people have detox when they've come to us or they've kind of come off the medications, you know, by the time they get to us. So the so we have, we have um, three stages. So first stages, people are usually um, probably up to three or four months. So yeah, up to, up to three or four months in the recovery. Just say we have a women's house. So one of those, so four of those 28 beds is a women's house. So as you'll know yourself, we recovery, women stick with women, women, women early doors and you know, the men stick with the men. So, yeah, these houses are staffed. But then when people kind of get through to second stage, um, they will be looking at taking on some peer supporting responsibility like a community. So some of the peers within that community may then have some responsibility of getting the first stages to doctors and dentists and all those. Because as a first stage, you wouldn't really be doing anything by yourself. Second stage, there's a bit more responsibility and a little bit more trust. So it's always the community. I mean, this is all overseen by staff and um, it is staff 24-7. But what we like to do is create responsible members in the community, you see. And I think what you find is when everyone's doing the stuff, the community regulates itself because people are so... Um, the recovery is so hard won um, that they don't tolerate people messing about. You know, they don't tolerate bullshit. You know, they don't tolerate trouble causes. You know, the community will expose anyone who's relapsed, you know, anyone who's kind of not behaving in a really good way. They will expose people who they don't think they're applying themselves properly, you know, to the therapeutic work that they should be doing. So um, we just kind of obviously... We're accountable for all that, but that's the kind of ethos that we try and create within communities. Uh, and what what kind of pro program do you follow? Is it total abstinence or is it semi abstinence or how, how does that how does that work? Well, the only thing as a staff team that we know how to do, we never learn how to drink, drink and take drugs successfully, so we would never try and teach other people how to do that. So we're a program of total abstinence and for um yeah we use a 12-step program um, oh, sorry I, I was gonna say so so would you address would you help i mean i think it's great i think you know for me that's how recovery works i don't i've never ever um been in a situation um in the community in the recovering community where people will blow smoke up your bum you know it's it's like you're behaving like a, a an umpty people will call you out on it so i think it's great that your communities yeah. and it's critical we're not talking about you know a bit of a tickly throat here we're talking about a life-threatening condition that people can die from you know so it, it is essential that they are held accountable i think that's absolutely fabulous um i've completely lost track of what the other thing that i was going to say now there's so many things that come up when you're talking. I'm scribbling them down trying to remember what, what it is that I want to ask you. Um, it's gone. Go on, Kev. You've got loads of questions. <laughs> Pass that ball over. Well, yeah. I'm, well, what I would like to ask, I think, is once you've gone through that, once they've made contact with you, um, what would be the next step? If, say, they were, um, say they were still using or still drinking. 
would you signpost them to places or would you take care of them 100% or how would it how would it go from there? Okay, so if anyone come to us and they express an interest to go in our housing facility, um, we would um, assess them. And then part of that assessment process may be start attending the groups, start attending the groups where it's okay that you can still be doing what you're doing because you're working towards abstinence to come into the house. Um, so that's what we would do. It's just calling where people are at. I mean, not everyone is going to want to come to our housing, uh, but what we do have is a group that meets a need, you know, no matter where people are at. And if I was a working professional with with an addiction problem, um, what is your confidentiality uh, sort of uh, ideas? Because I don't want my employers to know mm-hmm. that I'm I'm coming to see you uh, and going to your to your various help points. Well, I mean that's yeah, it's anonymous. I mean the, the the only place you know obviously where safeguarding you know poses a risk or you know you pose a risk to yourself or others, which is very very few and far between. Um, but they're the only occasions that we really do need to speak about, which wouldn't necessarily be your employer anyway. It could be adult social care. Um, I think we have had some quite high-profile people um, come and use our housing facility and access our support groups, and we've managed that exceptionally well. Right, and if I could hold down my job at the same time, yeah. As 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 doing the treatment is is the is a facility for that? Could I do that? Um, I suppose it would depend on what job it is that you were doing, and we'll just say it was a nine to five job. That, where, yeah. could I, where could I fit in my, my treatment around that nine to five? Okay, so I think um, you know the housing wouldn't be an option if you needed to go to work, mm. but I think we've we've got lots of out of hours support groups. You see, so. We would, you know, if you came to us, we would find something on an evening and a weekend that you could work around, you know, you could work your recovery around. Mm, brilliant. Yeah. I think that's great, though. I think, you know, with any recovery process, I think it's important that there is a period of investment um, mm. from the individual. And I think sometimes, yeah. you know, from doing the work that we do in the community i always say to people you know give yourself at least a month of of just immersing yourself into this stuff it has to be all or nothing so you know speak to your employers you know talk to them about you you, you know you getting well or what however we want to word it to them but commit to investing in your well-being and getting well first because i think it's a foundational block isn't it really that initial investment and i think a lot of people would be surprised actually what their company's relapse policy is i think a lot of, especially in this day and age a lot of a lot of companies have really good um, drug and alcohol policies and well-being policies and i think you'd be really surprised at the support options you know that yeah how much would it cost? Would it cost me or how much would it cost me personally or, or my company or whoever? Or is it a free service? So it's free service. So if you came to our housing, um, it would cost you, if you was a resident, it probably cost you somewhere near £250 a week. So it's about £1,000 a month. And um, if you just accessed our groups, it would be completely free. So it's the, it's the housing element that costs the money. Um, but the group community support doesn't cost you anything. 
And is there so a way to get that £250? Is, is, uh, is, if I can't afford that, is, is uh, can I, could I get that from the government? Could I get that from the council? Could I get that from charity? How does that work? Yeah, you would get it from the from the council. So you would apply for high rate housing benefit. So high rate housing benefit pays for that. So rarely have people not been able to come in due to a, a lack of funds. Yeah, I was. That was exactly the question I was going to ask. Is is it? Is, so if people are unemployed or they're on housing benefits or whatever benefits they're on, there are ways around it. So yeah, and I think you know one of the important things for us is it's self referral. Um, so quite often, you know, with rehabs, you know, you, you've got to have a key worker from a statutory organisation that's got to refer you. If you've already had a couple before, chances are you're not going to get funded for it again because they may have spent grands on you going and you failed. Um, we we just take self-referrals. You know, it's got absolutely no other organisational involvement. And we've got people who've been back two or three times because it's just not worked the first time. So, again, there's no time limit. Um, you know, because of the nature of the funding and because of the nature of how we work, because I don't think you can, I think some of the things in which you might realise yourself, Claire, soon is like funding, you know, there's always outcomes and I can understand there needs to be outcomes because there's public money, but if you understand drug and alcohol addiction, some people try five, six, seven, eight times to get clean, some people do it first time. Yeah, yeah. But that's not the experience of lots of people, so because we know that's not the experience of the majority. We then don't have any time limit or uh, a set amount of times or when we'll stop working with you because we understand the nature of addiction and alcoholism. Yeah, I think it's so important as well that people, that people feel cared for and able to come back. You know, that's how recovery works, isn't it? That's how the fellowships work. It's a place, a safe place where we can go, you know, no matter what happens, if you relapse or if you're struggling with life, it's like you said, you know, I mean, the more you progress in recovery, the more you realise that actually, for me, I'm talking on a personal perspective really, is the more I realise that actually drinking and drug taking were a solution to my problem. My problem was actually a living problem. I didn't know how to do life without an anaesthetic, yeah. you know. So what my recovery is really is it's about me staying well, staying connected, staying healthy and sort of, getting out of my own head because this is where the danger lies and it doesn't matter how sober I mean how long ago it was that you had a drink or a drug I think there's still an element of processing that we have to go through and and that supported mm. sort of nurturing you know mm. I've got friends that don't judge me when I have a rant and a rave you know and they might say oh you know have you thought about looking at yourself Claire rather than blaming Kev for, for yeah. something <laughs> don't need to tell me that thank you very much yeah. it's great though it's a life it's a life solution isn't it so really when i look at drinking and drug taking it that's like five percent of the problem the 95 percent of the problem which i think you do fabulously at the world communities is help people understand the life solution that they need to engage in and that you're part of it too you know, you're so interwoven with everything that's going on. And I love the fact that you will also get them work ready as well. You know, be that going in, work, working in your service or be that, you know, giving them an introduction to those bridges to normal living. Yeah. Because as a veteran of, uh, of a few rehabs, 
what I found personally was I did a couple where there was no there was no education uh, to get a knowledge of my uh, of my problems, uh, and others ones other places I went to really concentrated on that, which I personally found a great help. So. Uh, if if I you know do do you concentrate on education of this of my drug of choice and uh, after I hopefully put down my drug of choice and and been in this housing what kind of aftercare do you offer um, because I, I don't want to be thrown out there yet out there again unprepared so how, how does that work okay so I think the a lot of the education really comes from the kind of lived experience angle. So I can't say that there would be education per se about what you've taken, but very much about the consequences and, you know, where it's led to. And I think, again, this comes from having your your layer staff team and, um, you know, people kind of really still staying involved. So um, I think using... I think using the 12 steps, I think people get a really, really thorough look at themselves but also what we do is we have counseling that run, runs alongside that so just going back to what claire was saying before you know drugs and alcohol were part of really the life problem i also think as well that as someone in recovery we probably all have a duty to go someplace with counseling as well because i mean me personally i wanted to know why you know why was i this way that was important and i know um, the fellowship would never really tell me why, you know, it didn't matter why, you know, you just are and this is how it is. But, you know, a bit like yourself, Kev, education wise, it's like I needed to know. So counselling is a massive ele- element for me, you know, the traumatic experiences, what that could have potentially started, you know, what obsessions, what behaviours it started, because I think the addiction was just, you know, a follow on from all that. So when you get into second stage, so when you've looked at your addiction basically your powerlessness and your unmanageability and the rampage that you've created on your own life and you know it's as a result of your addiction what comes in in stage two then is counseling uh, as well so that's you know kind of further education on why we are where we are because I think if you just stay stuck in 12 step and you think all your re- problems are in relation to drugs and alcohol that's doing people a disservice as well so yeah. I think there is an education outside of that um so kind of life education so again when you get into stage two there will be training courses that you will start to do there'll be you know kind of learning how to be a peer mentor you know the companion training that kind of stuff so there is a focus on education but not so much in we're going to talk about this drug and we're going to talk about what's what it's more of a bigger picture education and i've got the next question (laughs) I'm, no, I'm the same as you. I'm, I'm listening and I'm going, oh, gosh. And it's critical. I think it's, for me anyway, it's critical that it goes in that order or it was critical that it went in that order because, for me, um, obviously, I had to address the primary problem. Yeah. And for me, it was drink and drugs. Yeah. And I'd, to be honest, Kerry, I, now knowing what I know, I can look back in retrospect and see that actually I had to be sort of starting to get well before I could actually engage in that second stage of having counselling and having that support, because it isn't, you know, it isn't easy sometimes, you know, dealing with childhood trauma, dealing with some of the stuff that that's traumatised us in active addiction. You know, being in active addiction is traumatic in itself and the situations that we get ourselves into. So I think there's an element, I don't think I would have ever, I think 
I always used to try and do it the other way around. When it, when I was in active addiction, I thought if I get some counselling or I get some help, yeah. then I'll be okay. But I still have a problem on top of it. So yeah. I was never going to get well because I had to address the first things first, mm. really. And I think, you know, what, you're, you're really inspirational to me because you're a perfect example. I'm sure you wouldn't. You'd agree. Obviously, you've got an amazing mind, and I think what's what I see in you, and I don't know you that well, but what I do know of you is this amazing mind that you've got. You know that you never really realised that you had until you started to get well, and I see that a lot in people. You know, um, the hope for the future. You know, I meet people, and they're very preoccupied with the addiction and very focused on the problem mm. and often I say to them I want you to tell me I don't want you really to tell me about the problem I know it's a problem because you won't be sat with me talking otherwise but yeah. tell me about your hopes and your future your hopes and your dreams for the future. you know and and just tell us a little bit about what you, you're doing because I mean you know you are an amazing uh, example of what you can go on to achieve yeah. you know so what you're up to I think that I think the main thing for me Claire is is I mean I I took heroin from 15 and and I'd been clever at school and rounded up a heroin addict so I always found it so shameful I found my own existence so shameful because I had a brain and I had a brain that I knew that worked mm. and one of my I always believed, which, you know, when I first got into recovery, my sponsor said, oh, you're in denial. What are you talking about? I knew it wasn't it. I knew what I was doing wasn't it. I've not resigned myself to a life of heroin addiction. And when I was in my addiction, I started my A-levels eight times because I thought if I can just get my A-levels, then I'll be all right. Um, failed them eight times. I would get to the, you know, the first handing of essays and I'd not scored um or or whatever you know all the, all the reasons you know all the reasons so the very first thing I did I was actually still on my subutex I was on subutex for a year I went to university my first year at um, of recovery was on subutex and I actually went to university because education is massively massively important to me and I don't think there's ever been a time throughout a lot of my life where I've not been in education I've not always managed to stay because staying put at things wasn't my strong point you know, but I did start lots of things. And I think my kind of recovery journey, and I'm currently training to be a psychotherapist. So I'm at uni now doing that. And it was funny because my mum said to my kids the other week, she said, your mum has been to school the longest time out of anyone I know. And, and it's like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Because I just love it. I just love it. And I think, you know, the more I know about myself, um, the more I can know about you, you know, the more I can inform our staff team and I think just with I mean David's training as well it's like we just seem to accidentally do everything together and we're pretty much joined at the hip so we're both at the same stage in the course but what that's done for our organization because I think what's tough is Claire when we started this I had a history I was a barmaid because I could always get my hands on booze and money so I was a barmaid you know till I was about 25 then I went into kind of like the care sector because I could work short shift, get shit loads of money and no one could really see the problem that I was in. A um, couple of call centres. I mean, the one thing that was always apparent was I had the ability to lead, um, but I could never keep hold of it because I got pissed and I got sacked or I was, you know, I was rough and I got sacked. Um, 
So when we kind of started this, I had no history of managing. You know, I had no history of leading a team or, you know, motivating people. And and it, and it was really, really tough. So I think my quest really has been to learn more about myself because the more I can learn about myself, the more I can then know about you, you know, the more I can then inform you. And I think it actually makes me a better leader because then I'm, um, much more aware of my team and I'm much more aware of vulnerabilities and I'm much more aware of conversation styles and much more aware of strategies. Um, so, yeah, and it has benefited our organisation hugely. I mean, just some of the things that we've managed to implement supervision-wise, some of the different elements of groups. Um, and there has just been a change of perspective. Now, I think what we like to create is an organization where everyone can grow because when people grow, the organization grows as well. And I think um, in that growth, then things change and we never know where the next changes are going to take place. But I think if we, if we stay focused on, you know, staff, individuals, training and not just the stuff that's work related, you know, I mean, we've sent people on retreats and all sorts of stuff, not to do with job. It's just, it's going to serve them well, which in turn, you know, will serve us well. So, yeah. yeah. No, I think it's great. I think it's lovely what you're doing. And I think, you know, what you're doing is you're utilising that amazing brain that you were, you were born with, you know, and achieving your greatest potential. And I think for me personally, I know when I was in active addiction that <clears throat> I was always, I always thought I was frightened of failure. But um, what I learned when I, once I got into recovery, it was actually fear of success that I was fright, more frightened of, you know, because... I have been born like you with an amazing brain. Different. My brain's different to yours. I work differently. I'm very, very um, creative thinker. I'm not very analytical. I, I can do analytical, um, but I think that you know that's our job, isn't it? We're put on this earth to find out who we really are and how knowing ourselves can help other people to achieve their greatest potential, whilst also helping ourselves as well to grow and learn and fill our head with just the amount of information that's out there that needs to be sort of distributed amongst our, our communities, you know. Um, and there's no one more resourceful than a recovering, you know, drug addict, heroin addict or alcoholic. I mean, you know, what it takes every day, you know, to maintain that, you know, the amount of characters you have to play, the amount of thinking you have to do about how you're getting your money, how you're getting from A to B, to what you're going to tell them to, you know, the level of juggling and the level of resilience and resourcefulness, if that can be channeled into something positive, it's like we met the best workforce. We do. And do you know what? We're natural. This is what I was doing before lockdown was I was running, as, as you know, I was running a community hub that was all about social innovation and about helping people once they got into recovery mm -hmm. and once it stabilised to start their own business ideas or their own project ideas or think about starting their own companies. I mean, we've had, we've had over 11 companies emerge. We've had about 10 projects emerge and these are all from people who who never really thought that you know oh, it's all right for them over there doing this but I think the way our minds work are just phenomenal and we do make amazing entrepreneurs we make a great workforce yeah. but we also make very good social entrepreneurs as well because often we've got that passion and purpose already built in us so and I think the pandemic starting 
you know, a group of ex-drug addicts and alcoholics go, well, where are these shit, these roses? So, uh, you know, after the initial shock, it's like, there's something good coming. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, can, I ask you, can I ask you, uh, firstly, we've got a message from a guy who says, uh, wow, that Kerry is a good-looking woman, and his, Dave yeah. is, his name is Dave. <laughs> Dave, somewhere. Do you yeah, know him? Yeah, and and in conclusion, (laughs) and in conclusion, what does the future look like for the well communities now? What have you got planned for after the after the pandemic's over? Okay, so the future looks like for us more housing. So we're just in um, a position where we are looking to replicate the model in Morecambe and in Kendall. So we're not far off that. I think to probably involve be involved with maybe one more hospital. So I think what we're looking for is the Morecambe Bay footprint, you see. So what we don't want to do is go really far afield where it's a watered-down service, where we don't know the communities and where we'll struggle to galvanise communities. So I think what we're really looking to do is strengthen our footprint across Morecambe Bay, which is kind of Lancaster, Morecambe, you know, South Lakes and, you know, some moving into central Lancashire. So... I think, you know, Dave, you'd have to ask Dave that. He's got about 20,000 things up, up his sleeve. The way it works is Dave goes out and gets the work and I deliver it. So I suppose, um, yeah, Dave will well, have all his sleeve. Maybe we should have Dave on at some point. Yeah, I just want to say thank you, Kerry. Thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I think what you're doing up there is is just brilliant. Uh, especially in the difficult times we're in. So uh, thank you very much, Kerry. Thanks a lot. I'll show it now. And you know what? I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for for not all that you do in the Morecambe area and and the Lancashire area, but for all that you do. I mean, you've been so hospitable and so kind and so generous. And Dave's the same. You know, the the amount of times I picked up the phone or sent a message going, um, can I have a chat or can I ask you a question? Or, you know, and I think that's such a beautiful quality of what you've got you know you've got huge hearts it's not just a Morecambe Bay thing that you're doing it's a it's a you you've got a beautiful light the two of you and you just shine wherever you go and you're willing you know you're willing to share that information with people and I love you both dearly I'd love for for Dave to come on um I think I think the more information we can get out there and the more hope that we can give people the more that people can actually realise just what potential they've got to, you know, and that's what we're here for, isn't it? We're here to shine a light on other people's paths. Yeah. You know, and I think you do a cracking job of that, Kerry. So thank you so much for all that you do. And, uh, yeah, you're welcome. And, Dave, I'll be in touch. You're definitely coming on. I'd love uh, – I'd love. Uh, do you know what? I'd love to talk more about Leros as well because I know the project that Dave's involved in, um, in helping people like you and I and Kev, who have got a heart to make a difference, who want to start these or have started these amazing recovery projects, how there's some synchronicity and some strategy and some support for one another, like you give to me and um, – you know, so I'd love to talk to Dave about, more about that. And um, I think as well, you know, there is an invite to anyone, really. You know, I mean, you can use that number for that reason mm-hmm. as well, because I know early days when you're starting things, it's like, you know, these questions and one thing or another. And I would happily, I would have loved to have someone who I could ring and go, what do I do? What does that mean? What, you know, what's all that about? And, and they just weren't there. So, you know, I just 
extend that offer to anyone who just might want to ask questions and find out a little bit more. Yeah, and that's how my project started with setting up a social enterprise. I thought it was so difficult getting the support that I needed unless you had loads of money to pay for a coach. And I was like, well, I didn't have that sort of money. So the way I look at it is when I'm gifted something, um, be it recovery or the knowledge of how to start a social enterprise, I give it away. It's like, well, I've learned it. You can have it too. So, yeah, I love I love what you do. And I think you're an amazing young lady and um, loved having you. So I look forward to speaking to you very soon and definitely getting the, the lovely Dave on. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Kerry. Lots of love. Have a lovely week. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Matt. I'm one of our volunteer fundraisers here at Kennedy Street. Thanks for listening. Your support is greatly appreciated. Please do head over to our website, www.kennedystreetcio.org, for information on how you could be involved in future fundraising campaigns or how you can donate to this great cause.